Sorry, old sport, I thought you knew. This is the OK Gatsby colon, is Nick Carraway gay or what? That's I figured the subtitle of the <laughs> podcast would be. Yeah, this is our exploration of mainly that. <laughs> OK, 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 OK. Hello and welcome back to the OK Gatsby. This is your boy, Terrence Hartnett. This is Kevin Lopkovich. We're talking about Chapter 4 today. Chapter 4. Very exciting chapter. It's the first time we really get to know Gatsby on a more grounded context. Grounded is a maybe not the best word. In yeah. A, in the sense that he is talking and maybe saying true things, maybe not. We get Daisy's backstory. We get some criminal connections, criminal activity in New York. Yeah, we get a nice little gangster story. We get some weird New York moments. Uh, only in New York, you know, Only folks? in New York. <laughs> only in New York. And then we got um, just a nice little romance with Jordan, or maybe not. little kiss, or maybe a sham. Who yeah. knows? <laughs> you be the judge. All right, so it starts off with a funny contradiction that I liked a lot. On Sunday morning, while church bells rang in the villages along shore, the world and its mistress returned to Gatsby's house and twinkled hilariously on his lawn. So this is the first time, like... Anytime religion comes up next to all this, it seems like a like a joke. Making an entire he's mockery. Like opulent rich people with no morals, and then they can hear church bells. So in a way, it's like God is like still watching, just like the eyes of God in uh, Doctor Eckelberg. Eckelberg. So like these people have abandoned God, but God is still there, yeah, <laughs> waiting to get them. <laughs> and it is hilarious. Yes, Fitzgerald contends. Um. And so here, and then there's another real quick thing about one time he killed a man who had found out that he was nephew to von Hindenburg and second cousin to the devil. And then reach me a rose, honey, and pour me a last drop in that there crystal glass. So they're like gossiping about him and then also like drinking his liquor. More rumors. Oh, yeah, right. More rumors, more gossip, more freeloading. Yeah. But also here's another like German connection. This is the, one of the maybe like the fourth time they've tried to connect him to a German person. So von Hindenburg was von the general Hindenburg. of World War One. Uh, in the latter half of the war, German man. Um, and then, this is kind of funny. Nick gives a list of the people who go to these parties, and he's being really sassy with this list. <laughs> but we're just gonna we're just we're just gonna I'm gonna read it and then we'll talk about it when interesting things come up. So he goes, once I wrote down on the empty spaces of a timetable the names of those who came to Gatsby's house that summer. It is an old timetable now, disintegrating in its folds and headed, this schedule is effect, in effect July 5th, 1922. But I can still read the gray names, and they will give you a better impression than my generalities of those who accepted Gatsby's hospitality and paid him the subtle tribute of knowing nothing whatever about him. So already he's like <laughs> being <laughs> the caddy. All right, so from East Egg then came the Chester Beckers and the Le- Le- Leeches and a man named Bunsen, whom I knew at Yale, and Dr. Webster Savette, who was drowned last summer up in Maine. So the there's for death one. <laughs> and the Hornbeams and the, the Willie Voltaires. That's, also, these names are silly. <laughs> Willie Voltaire. And a whole clan named Black Buck, who always gathered in a corner and flipped up their noses like goats at whosoever came near. And the Ismays and the Christies, or rather Hubert Auerbach and Mr. Christie's wife. Ooh. Ooh. And Edgar Beaver, whose hair, they say, turned cotton white one winter afternoon for no good reason at all. 
And that's weird. I don't even know why that's in there. Just just rumors, wild like just snippets of like of like drunk party rumors. This is like uh you ever seen um the Royal Tenenbaums? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's just like listing descriptions like the Alec Baldwin is deadpan listing descriptions of people. And you can get yeah, you can get all kinds of funny stuff in there and just hey, move Edgar on. Edgar Beaver, whose hair they say turned cotton white one afternoon for no good reason at all. <laughs> and then there's like a way too colorful. Go, <laughs> Mordecai. Clarence and Dive was from East Egg, as I remember. He came only once in white knickerbockers and had a fight with a bum named Eddie in the garden. <laughs> from farther out on the island came the Cheetles and the O.R.P. Schraders and the Stonewall Jackson Abrams of Georgia. <laughs> That's another silly name. The Stonewall. And the Fish Guards and the Ripley Snells. Like, he's... Right, he knows... He kn- You know some names sound funny and some names don't. If you're Fitzgerald, and he's making funny names, yeah. Snell was there three days before we went up to the penitentiary, so drunk out on the gravel drive that Mrs. Ulysses Sweat's automobile ran over his right hand. The Dancies came too, and S.B. Whitebait, who was well over 60, and so there's just an old guy that <laughs> kind of runs around. Well over parties. 60. And Maurice A. Flink and the Hammerheads and Beluga the Tobacco Importer and the Beluga's Girls. From West A came the Poles and the Mulreddies and Cecil Roebuck into Cecil Schoen. Cecil Roebuck and Cecil Schoen and Gulick, the state senator, and Newton Orchard, who controlled films par excellence, and Eckhoff and Clyde Cohen and Don S. Schwartz, the son, and Arthur McCarthy, all connected with the movies in one way or another. And the Catlips and the Bembergs and Cheryl Muldoon, brother to that Muldoon who afterwards strangled his wife. Another dead lady. Whatever. And also, like, not the, the – so she's just, like, threw in death. Not that one. Uh, the uh, – the um uh, we're, we're seeing all kinds of just drunk driving, too, just casually mentioned. Every chapter, these are people who are just getting wasted and getting in their cars, which is foreshadowing, obviously. And also a metaphor for the rich. Reckless rich. Yeah, right. And we see Gatsby later. He doesn't get, he doesn't get pulled over for reckless driving during the day because he's got a special card. Um, they're drunk behind the wheel, folks. Uh. Da Fontano, the promoter. So his name's Da Fontano. <laughs> the promoter came there, and Ed Legros and James B. Rotgut Ferret, and the Dejongs and Ernest Lilly. They came to gamble, and when Ferner warned, wandered into the garden and meant he was cleaned out, an associate traction would have to fluctuate profitably next day. <laughs> A man named Clip Springer was there so often and so long that he became known as the Border. I doubt if he had any other, any other home. Of theatrical people, there was Gus Ways and Horace O'Donovan and Lester Meyer, and George Duckweed, and Francis Bull. Also from New York were the Chromes, and the Beckisons, and the Dedekers, and Russell Betty, and the Corrigans, and the Kellehers, and the Dewars, and the Scullies, and S.W. Belcher, and the Smirks, and the Young Quinns divorced now, and the Henry L. Palmato, who killed himself by jumping in front of a subway train in Times Square. <laughs> Three deaths. Three deaths casually mentioned among these, among these sort of like um, rich aristoc- New York aristocrats. Then there's this passage was kind of funny is benny mcclanahan arrived always with four girls they were never quite the same ones and physical person but they were so identical one with another that it inevitably seemed that they had been there before i had forgotten their names jacqueline i think or else consuela or gloria or judy or june and the last names were either the melodious names of flowers and months or the sterner ones of the great american capitalists whose cousins <laughs> if pressed they would confess themselves to be. <laughs> It's also weird that he's single. He, he, I think Fitzgerald has a little bit of contempt for young women. <laughs> oh, my God. I was just going to say, it's like, again, he's painting all these women. They're all the same, same brush. Oh, yeah, he's got contempt for them. Like, I mean, like, you can accuse him. At, at the very best, he has contempt for the kind of woman who would come to a party like this and be drunk. At the very worst, I mean, and most likely, he's a classic 1920s 
misogynist. misogynist. I mean, yeah, that's like, you know, it's like, yeah, he also drank water and breathed air in the 20s, you know? Yeah, no patience for any any of the faults of young women or even seeing them as different. <laughs> right, that's He literally thing. spends a paragraph. Out of, everyone else gets like one line, if that, and he's like, also there's these girls that I don't even know their names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I can't remember those names. I remember 35 random yeah. rich people. Yeah. Um. In addition to all of these, I can remember the, that Faustino O'Brien came there at least once, and the Baddecker girls, and young Brewer had his nose shut off in the war, and Mr. Albrooksberger, and Miss Hogg, his fiance, and Ardita, and Ardita Fitzpeters, and Mr. P. P. Jewett, one head of the American Legion, and Miss Claudia Hip, with the man reputed to be her chauffeur, and a prince of something, whom we called Duke, and whose name, if I ever knew it, I have forgotten. All these people came to Gatsby's house in the summer. So, like, I don't like as much as he's like, this is who came there. All we get is a bunch of names. We get a bunch of names. Yeah. This last guy is called the Duke. So he's maybe sort of um, a no- noble nobility of some kind. It's noted a bit. And maybe in the 20s, like, you knew who he was making fun of um, yeah. and talking about. And basically, the big thing is like theater people, movie people, and then just random, like, drunks. But this is five or six paragraphs that are just listing names, and then there's there's the there's the jokes about the death. It's so like there's something there, but why, for such a careful author, Kev, why do you see him doing something like this? I think he wanted just to impress that, like, I think it's just a straight up logistical thing of people in their minds like trying to like imagine these parties. He's really trying to be like, no, the scale you're imagining is not big enough, and also. It's the same thing, you know, when you watch a movie and you see a party scene and you don't care about, you, like, clearly the director got, like, 50 extras and yeah. there's, like, the two people you're supposed to care about. I think he's trying to resist, like, hey, everyone here also is has a full life that's going on and they all bump in accidentally to Gatsby. Uh, so he's, like, some moth to all these people or some light to all these moths. And he even says that a bunch of moths who ended up. Moths to light. That's one of the first, uh, that's the first sentence of chapter three, I think. Yeah. yeah that, like. These are people with full lives. They're not just extras in this Gatsby story. Uh, a lot of them died. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're important. Right, but yeah, but they're important, and their lives are exciting and different. And Nick is interested in them. Yeah. That's also something, Clearly I guess. Clearly, he wrote them down. Yeah, like, right. Because he, he claimed to not be absorbed by this stuff, but he literally made a list of everyone who came to yeah, these parties. Yeah, verbal eye roll. Yeah. He's obsessed with invitations and attendance and, yeah. No, it's very weird. Classic. Now, Gatsby pulls up to Nick's house one morning late in July. Good morning, old sport. You're having lunch with me today, and I thought we'd ride up together. Now, wait. So, does, is this just like is this just like get in, loser, we're going shopping? Yeah, this is get in, loser, we're going shopping. <laughs> or it's one of the worst lines of dialogue. It's either a great, like, funny, like, hey, we're going, like, to show how dominating Gatsby is. Yeah. Like, I'm going to dominate this my neighbor, this young man, and just say, hey, we're going to lunch. Or it's like a bad romance novel where they go... Oh, like your mom said. Remember what your mom said? And right. then I explain all the backstory. It's either sloppy exposition or it's just like a fun joke. And we got to assume that Fitzgerald's not being sloppy. You're having lunch with me today, and I thought we'd ride up together. And it's like, all right, come on, let's yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, how nice of you, me, of, of me to give you a ride to the lunch that I just made you come to. Um, Let's see. The car. Then he's like, hey, they look at his car, and he goes, wow, what a car. <laughs> 
Okay, wait. I wanted to point out the fact that uh, its description of the car is crazy. It was a rich cream color, bright with nickel, swollen here and there in its monstrous length with triumphant hat boxes and supper boxes and toolboxes and terraced with a labyrinth of windshields that mirrored a dozen suns. A lot of glass in the car you're pointing out. Yeah, it says sitting down behind many layers of glass in sort of green leather conservatory which started to town. Right. It's, not a, this is, it's a conservatory on wheels. It's not a car. And I don't know if that's like... A straight up just like people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones sure. metaphor. Or it's like he sees everything through layers of glass. Which is expensive. He sees everything through money. Yeah. But also like he's never viscerally next to anything. Yeah. He's separated. He's always separated. Even in his car, he has extra separation from the world. Extra windshields. His convertible car, he's never actually quite in the air. Yeah. I also make note of the, the it's, it's called Monstrous and this car does some, some serious damage later in the book. Yes. And it's weird that it has hat boxes and supper boxes. Well, where do you get to put your hat in your supper? That's true. You made you made a good point. Thank you. Um, let's see. This is a this is a weird moment. He goes, I had talked with him perhaps six times in the past month and found, to my disappointment, they had little to say. So my first impression that he was a person of some some undefined consequences had gradually faded and had become simply the proprietor of an elaborate roadhouse next door. That's mm. like a mean thing to say. <laughs> yeah, right. So like, yeah, the the shine the shine is worn off of this Gatsby character to Nick. It seems yeah, like. he seems like he was really infatuated the moment the moment he realized who he was. Yeah, and now, one, it's weird that Gatsby has very little to say, but two, like, it's just like oh, he just runs a drunk party house. Yeah. <laughs> and then came that disconcerting ride. We hadn't reached West Stake Village before Gatsby began leaving his elegant sentences unfinished and slapping himself indecisively on the knee of his caramel-colored suit. He's getting a little nervous, getting a little cagey. Yeah, all the charm and the, the formal rigidity of Gatsby's breaking down. What's your look, look here, old sport, he says. What's your opinion of me, anyhow? You know how you say to a friend on the way to lunch. That's And it's such a good response. A little overwhelmed to begin the generalized evasions which that question diver- deserves. Like, yeah, like, don't ever just like, what do you think of me? <laughs> so you're like, yeah, of course you're like, oh, man, dude. Dude, you, like. Word. We're Man, boys. I mean, we're neighbors. I don't know you too well. Yeah. I, I mean, I really respect you, and I, uh, I think you're a great neighbor. <laughs> Just saying nothing. <laughs> and he says, well, I'm going to tell you something about my life, he interrupted. I don't want you to get a wrong idea of me from all those stories you hear. So, like, this is him being like, time to set the record straight. Yeah, here comes my story. Or even just, like, my spin on the PR around. Yeah, yeah. He says, I'll tell you God's truth. So now we got church bells, the devil, and God all mentioned pretty close. <laughs> His right hand suddenly ordered divine retribution to stand by. I am the son of some wealthy people in the Middle West, all dead now. So another death. Yep. I was brought up in America but educated at Oxford because all of my ancestors have been educated for their, there for many years. It is a family tradition. He looked at me sideways, and I knew why Jordan Baker had believed he was lying. He hurried the phrase, educated at Oxford, or swallowed it, or choked on it. As though it had bothered them before. And then he pokes at him. I think Nick may be poking here. And he says, what part of the Middle West? I inquired casually. To which Gatsby replies, San Francisco. (laughs) 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 So both of us are confused. Yeah. Because one, that's a great joke. Yeah. And from just like, we're comedy writers. We've been some, we put some things in things that didn't make sense, but were funny jokes. Yeah. Out of left field. Out of left field. Just like a quick little one line. And that's the only thing like. 
The only reason I think he could say this one is because Gatsby's not a dumb guy. He calls Chicago all the time. <laughs> He's like connected to every city in America. He knows what the Midwest is. <laughs> um, so my only thing is like, oh, he panics. He goes. Nick is also from the Midwest, so he's going to know what city I'm from and probably know the good families there. Right. So I got to pick a city he doesn't know. Yeah. And then the only other thing is like Middle West, meaning the middle of the West Coast, which is where San Francisco is. But even that's kind of a stretch. Huge stretch. That is the West Coast. It's like it's got a whole different name, obviously. Uh, But that theory makes sense to me. It scans. Yeah. That just like, uh, I think, yeah, he's just panicked because he was not used to being called out. He's used to being like overbearing and charming. And now he's nervous cuz he know he we all know he wants something from Nick. Yeah. Um family all died and they came into a good deal of money, he says. So it's inherited wealth. So he's pretending to be Tom. Right. So yeah, like again, again posturing as if he has a lot of money. We know eventually that he doesn't. Um he certainly acts like a new rich. But yeah, it's weird how he doesn't want to be like I made all the money myself. Like he's not a bootstraps guy. He like trying to hide that he's a bootstraps well, guy. Well, I think isn't that isn't that isn't that thematic though? It's like uh all these west egg people, they want to be east egg people. They want to be people who have inherited their money, which it does, I guess I guess I agree it doesn't make sense. Yeah, the like easy life like I was groomed well, bred well. Like yeah. that's an obsession with breeding. It's very European. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Um, and it's even like different. They even said in that list, like uh, affiliated with different industrialists, where it's like that's like the kind of common royalty that they're trying to put together is like the Vanderbilts and the Roosevelts. Yeah, and we get another Roosevelt mentioned in this in this uh, chapter for and I don't the know, Rockefellers and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I don't know reason. Uh, he looked uh, like a young Raja in all the capitals of Europe: Paris, Venice, Rome, cutting jewels, <laughs> chiefly rubies, hunting big game, painting little things for myself only, and trying to forget something very sad that had happened to me long ago. And then Nick says, with an effort, I managed to restrain my incredulous laughter. The very phrases were worn so threadbare, they evoked no image except that of a turbaned, in quotes, character, leaking sawdust at every pore as he pursued a tiger through the Bois de Boulogne. And I looked it up. That's a park in Paris. So he's joking that Gatsby put on a costume and went to a park in Paris and tried to hunt down an imaginary tiger. (laughs) (laughs) But also, like, he's being so catty and, like, dismissive of this man that just, like... A chapter ago was like his smile was the most important thing in the world. I know. Yeah, the, the it's really uh, worn and thin here. Uh, the party's going too late at night. It seems like he's pretty irritated. Yeah. Then came the war, old sport. It was a great relief, and I tried very hard to die. Another death. Wow. Uh, but I seemed to bear an enchanted life. I accepted commission as first lieutenant when I began in the Argonne Forest. I took two machine gun detachments so far forward that there was a half mile gap on either side of us where the infantry couldn't advance. So I looked it up. The Argonne Forest is site of like the last big battle of World War One. Wow. So uh, yeah, like 120,000 Allied troops die, 130,000 German troops die. It's a lot of death. It was a really bloody battle, and it was the last part. So he's claiming to be part of like the biggest battle in World War One and the leader of it. And he and he becomes a war hero. He, yeah. he mentions he gets a um, he gets every every Allied government gave me a decoration. Even Montenegro, little Montenegro down in the Adriatic Sea. And he just belittles. Uh, I love like uh, the smile comforted Montenegro's troubled history and sympathize with the, the brave struggles of the Montenegrin people. So actively, Nick is in his head being like, "You are so full of BS, crap." Yes, yeah. And I'm gonna make fun of you in my head to myself and to these people. I will write this book to later. Classic Nick. <laughs> um, let's see. Play to his face. 
And then he reaches into a pocket and piece of metal slung on a ribbon fell into my palm. That's the one from Montenegro. To my, to my astonishment, the thing had an authentic look. Ordinary de Danilo ran the circular legend Montenegro Nicholas Rex. So I looked it up. Ordinary de Danilo is the king of Montenegro, was named Danilo. The uh, only king of Montenegro. Yeah. He only, he only ever had one king. Turn it. Uh, Major Jay Gatsby I read for Valor Extraordinary. So See? It's, there's, it's there's, real. There's a little bit of proof. Um, it's weird that he was so paranoid that he had to bring this up, but it's more proof. Yeah. Uh, and so now Nick's shaken a little bit. And then here's another thing I always carry a souvenir of Oxford days. It was taken in Trinity quad. The man on my left is now the Earl of Doncaster. It was a photograph of a half dozen young men in blazers loafing in an archway through which were visible a host of spires. There was Gatsby looking a little, not much younger with a cricket bat in his hand. Then it was all true. I saw the skins of tigers flaming his palace on the Grand Canal. I saw him opening a chest of ruby seas with her crimson-lighted depths, the gnawing of his broken heart. So, one, he turns very quickly. Nick, I know. I was just thinking Which that. Which is maybe like, maybe the point where like he really wants to love him, is that he yeah. he, he bragged about how he has these breaks and rules on his behavior and desires, and then he's like, all right, I have to be ske- – I'm getting too into this guy. I have to be skeptical. And then he gives two pieces of flimsy evidence, <laughs> and Nick is like, this is the best man alive. <laughs> yeah, turn, yeah, turns on a dime right back into under the spell. But another little thing about that sentence, the Earl of Doncaster uh, looked it up. So the Earl of Doncaster has another title, which is also Duke of Bukalek. And if you remember – Nick's family claims to be descended from the Duke of Bukalek. Chapter one, page one. So there's a parallel right there where Nick's family, Nick's family, who also tries to attach itself to sort of like European royalty or like, and there are people that made their own money. He started a hardware store yeah, in why? 1850. And it was like, no, we're actually royalty. We didn't make our own money. Um, yeah, Duke of Bukalek. And then Gatsby is trying to impress his name by being like, look, I'm friends with a Duke. And they're trying. They're going for the same person who they're trying to impress with each other. Right. So symbolically, if you're choosing these names like Fitzgerald is with with purpose, the idea is that these guys are both pulling the same maneuver of trying to align themselves with this nobility in order to gain, I guess, the social the social status. The- social status, I sort of like legitimacy. Yeah. That cannot be afforded by people who just make the money. Old money legitimacy. So yeah, and then but we talked about what, like there's that duke in that list, and no one cares about the duke. Yeah, they, they forget his duke. name. Yeah. Uh, so there's a weird type of that you have to make a lot of money and then pretend you're related to someone important, uh, but it's more important that you make the money and then you can lie about everything else. Right. So now, so now that Gatsby has got Nick on his side, believing his his story, it's time for the big ask that this, the purpose of this whole lunch trip it seems like, right? He says, "I have something. Uh, uh, I have something. Wait, you'll hear this. Uh, I'm going to make a big request to you today." Yeah. He said, pocketing his souvenirs with satisfaction. So I thought you ought to know something about me. I didn't want you to think I was just some nobody. So that's why. Why would the richest man he's ever <laughs> met be like, "Oh, what a nobody"? <laughs> yeah. Someone's. Everyone's been talking about it for four chapters. Uh, he's a nobody. You see, I usually find myself among strangers because I drift here and there trying to forget that sad thing that happened to me. That's also a weird way he keeps saying sad thing that happened to me. (laughs) Vague. Very vague. Sad, bad thing. He hesitated. You'll hear about it this afternoon. At lunch? No, this afternoon. I happen to find out that you're taking Miss Baker to tea. And then Nick says a very... I think he's joking. And he goes, do you mean to tell me you're in love with Miss Baker? (laughs) (laughs) 
No, old sport, I'm not. But Miss Baker has kindly consented to speak to you about this matter. Um, and then Nick is mad again. I love it. I hadn't the fans idea what this matter was, but I was more annoyed that, than interested. I hadn't asked Jordan to tea in order to discuss Mr. Jay Gatsby. He's really just like one favor, and he's just like, wait a minute. Don't tell me what to talk about on my lunch date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think maybe he wasn't convinced. I mean, like, maybe he wasn't convinced. I think he's convinced, but he's still annoyed. Because basically Gatsby came in, pulled him out of his house, and said, this is what you're doing with your day. He's being manipulated, right? And yeah. even the stories are, are, if they are, even if they are true, they are manipulative. To tell him like this, yeah. here's my yeah. background. Here's an ask. Like me, on a more personal level, uh, that I've created, um, but also like Nick is tries to maintain his dignity because he's being pushed around by a lot of different strong personalities, pushed around by Daisy and Tom and Gatsby, even Jordan a little bit. Yep. So he's really tries hard to like maintain his dignity. He's like, all right, I'll be a lonely guy who no one bothers. But don't make me do things. Um, so, yeah. And then, real briefly, then the valley of ashes open up on both sides of us, and I had a glimpse of Mrs. Wilson straining into the garbage pump with panting vitality as we went by. Mrs. Wilson is looking very alive. Yep, she's alive. And it's a very brief moment, and that's the next time, the last time, one of the last times you see her. But if they thought it was important, they go, hey, look at there. There's Mrs. Wilson. We're in a car. Mrs. Wilson is alive. We drove by. She's still alive. No, no big deal there. Uh, then you get, um, then they're in the city and they see the cop. Oh, no, no, wait, the, uh, the, there's the, well, yeah, the cop pulls him over Yep. and Gatsby flashes his white card from the commissioner. Uh, I did a favor for the commissioner. And now he sends me a Christmas card. The cop even, even says, no, you're next time. Mr. Gatsby, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> like that's almost like absurd. Of course. Of course. <laughs> no time in history. Was it that? blunt of like show him this magic <laughs> card and you'll never get bothered <laughs> i know it's quite the image um they see a dead man in a hearse another death another another death uh for those of you keeping track at home uh then they see uh this is a great one there's a weird phrase in that one point out um, go ahead. so they go over the this is good writing but also one weird phrase over the great bridge with the sunlight through the girders making a constant flicker upon the moving cars with the city rising up across the river in white heaps and sugar lumps all built with a wish out of non-olfactory money the city scene from the Queensboro Bridge is always a city scene for the first time, and it's first wild promise of all the mystery and the beauty in the world. So one of the big sentences from the book, just from a poetic standpoint. I just want to make a meme and you know put that over like a I don't know a picture of the New York skyline. I had that. What do you think? In college, I had. Of that course you poster. did. Of um, course you did. But what do you think he means by non-olfactory money? Uh you can't smell it. So <laughs> it's not dirty money. Is that the point? I with is, a wish out. With a wish out of. I don't know. I'll build it with a wish out of non-olfactory money. You can't smell it. Can't I'm not sure smell if the metaphor it, would carry over. Cocaine money? <laughs> no. I don't know. I don't get it. I just thought it was a weird sentence that I couldn't figure out. Uh, yeah, but then they see the funeral car, and then they see, uh, as we cross Blackwell's Island, a limousine passed us, driven by a white chauffeur in which sat three modish Negroes, two bucks and a girl, I laughed aloud as the yolks of their eyeballs rolled toward us in a haughty rivalry. <laughs> One that's weirdly says bucks. <laughs> like they're animals? Yeah. yeah. Sure it that's is. That's such a weird part of this. And then Almost 100 years ago. Anything can stuff. happen. Now that we've slid over this bridge, I thought, anything at all. Even Gatsby could happen without any particular wonder. So he's charmed. He's yes. riding with Gatsby over the bridge. Which is the it's the purpose of this of this lunch is to is to charm him and wow him sort of like get him sort of on his side for the big ask which he's yes. doing. 
But also that weird part about the I think beyond the weird racist tones, the the three Negroes and the limousine and the white driver is like things are things can reverse. New York is the place where literally anything in 1920s that most absurd thing would be <laughs> three black people right. with a white driver. But also that like oh same with like new money old money they made money yeah they're rich the new the old money is like bending down to gatsby because he has such great parties and has such social influence yeah um so yeah then they have lunch with mr wolfsheim oh boy charles dickens would be proud of how overtly anti-semitic this depiction <laughs> is to make Dickens blush. So, a small, flat-nosed Jew raised his large head and regarded me with two fine growths of hair, which luxuriated in either nostril. It's like, look, here's a Jew with a big, hairy nose. <laughs> this is essentially a nose with two feet and arms. Nick has the power of immense description, and this is what he goes for with Mr. Wolfsheim. He was a Jew. What more do you need to know, pal? A hairy-nosed Jew. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. You got it. We're in New York, all right? <laughs> Pic- picture it. You got it. That's it. After a moment, I discovered his tiny eyes in the half-darkness. <laughs> I looked him in the eye after a moment. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. So I took one look at him, said Mr. Wolfshine, shaking my hand earnestly. And what do you think I did? What? I inquired politely. But evidently he was not addressing me, for he dropped my hand and covered Gatsby with his expressive nose. I handed the money to Catspaw, and I said, all right, Catspaw, don't pay him a penny until he shuts his mouth. He shut up then and there. So he's telling a gangster story. Yep. Um, let's see here. Gatsby takes him in. <clears throat> High balls, asked the head waiter. This is a nice restaurant here, said Mr. Wolfshine, but I like across the street better. Gatsby says it's too hot over there across the street. Hot and small, yes, but full of memories. What place is that, I asked. The old Metropole. So we looked up what Metropole means. And it's a word that means the center of an empire. Uh, so that's basically saying Gatsby was part of a very, is still part of a very powerful gang. This is the hangout. Probably. He's a powerful bootlegger with a lot of different influences. Yeah. Does Gatsby have access to alcohol? You think? Oh, I couldn't imagine. I where feel it... like he can. He could probably procure a bottle or two if pressed. Yes. Um, let's see. Uh, the Rosie... old Metropole. Yep. And then we get this Rosie Rosenthal story from Wolfsheim. Yeah. Uh, filled with faces dead and gone, so more death. Yep. Filled with friends gone now forever. I can't forget so long I lived the night they shot Rosie Rosenthal there. Already a funny gangster. Name. Rosie Rosenthal. It was six of us at the table, and Rosie had eaten drunk a lot all evening. When it was almost morning, the waiter came up to him with a funny look and says, somebody wants to speak to him outside. All right, says Rosie, and begins to get up, and I pulled him down in the chair. Let the bastards come in here if they want you, Rosie, but don't you, so help me move outside this room. It was four o'clock in the morning then, and if we'd have raised the blinds, we'd have seen daylight. Did he go? I asked innocently. Sure he went, Mr. Wolfenstein's nose. Again, flashed at me. <laughs> he turned around in the corner and says, don't let that waiter take away my coffee. Then he went out in the sidewalk, and I shot him three times in his full belly and drove away. I love that it's included as a full belly. Like, he had eaten a lot. <laughs> and he had, and he had, and the tragedy of it is that all that food was wasted. Wolfsheim's nose flashed at me indignantly. So, like, the, the no- instead of a face, this man has a nose. Four of them were electrocuted, I said, remembering. Five with Becker. So more death. So much death in this chapter. That's a huge part of yeah. this. Yeah. Just how much death is surrounding all this nice life. Um, and then he says, I understand you're looking for a business connection. Um, the juxtaposition of these two remarks were startling. Gatsby answered for me. Oh, no, he exclaimed, this isn't the man. So here, gangster 
dripping with gangsterism. I like that a lot. The, the juxtaposition of these two remarks was startling. So it would be to Nick, but to Gatsby and Wolfsheim, this is normal. So they were mentioning a guy, a guy dying, uh, and Wolfsheim's unfazed, and he says, I understand you're looking for a business connection. All right, so that guy died for being a gangster, but I heard you're looking to be a gangster. What, are yeah. you, what can I help you with? Um, let's see here. Uh, they arrive. Mr. Wolfsheim eats ferociously. <laughs> he really is like Nick takes his time. And then he like he completed. Uh, so his eyes, meanwhile, roved very slowly all around the room. He completed the arc by turning to inspect the people directly behind. I think that except for my presence, he would have taken one short glance underneath their own table. Yeah. It's like here's his nervous, neurotic, Jewish, big nosed man. <laughs> So Nick is like really has contempt for women and Jewish people. And Jewish people, let's be honest, yeah. Um, let's see here. So this, and then here, here we finally hear we have Nick challenging Gatsby on this thing. I'm afraid I made Gatsby says I'm afraid I made you a little angry this morning in the car. There was a smile again, but this time I held out against him. <laughs> so Nick actively has to resist charms. The, the the spell. I don't like mysteries. I answered, and I don't understand why you won't come out frankly and tell me what you want. Why has it all got to come through Miss Baker? And then this great line. Oh, it's nothing underhand, he assured me. Miss Baker's a great sportswoman, you know, and she'd never do anything that wasn't all right. <laughs> Literally in the last chapter, just like, Jordan's the biggest liar I've ever met in my whole life. And she's a liar while she's being a sports person. Yeah, she, her, sports she's famous woman. for cheating in golf. Yeah, so so to use the fact that she plays sports as the evidence that she's honest is uh, crazy, and it sounds sure it sounds fine, I guess, but Gatsby is just a, a, a clearly a liar. Yes, um, so and it's also funny where all credibility is based on all these also flawed people. Yeah, no foundation. So Gatsby has to leave briefly, and Wolfsheim gives him a little speech. Uh, he goes, fine fellow, isn't he handsome to look at and a perfect gentleman? Nick agrees. He's an Oxford man. Yep, maybe known Getsy for a long time, several years. Uh, he went to Oxford College in England. You know Oxford College, I've heard of it. It's one of the most famous colleges in the world. So there's also this weird thing of, he also said, there's the kind of man you like to s to take home and introduce to your mother and sister, yeah. <laughs> um, which is a funny line. <laughs> like, oh, I met this great man. Let me take him home and meet my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but he's got Wolfsheim fooled as well, or else Wolfsheim is perpetuating the lie that Gatsby is perpetuating. I don't yeah, know. maybe he's part of, like, Gatsby's the charming face so that Wolfsheim can be the brains and yeah. the shiftiness and actually handle business. Um, I see you're looking at my cuff buttons. I hadn't been looking at them. So Wolfsheim's just bragging. He's He also is vain. Which is really weird because they are made of the finest specimens of human molars, he informed me. Well, I inspected them. That's a very interesting idea, said Nick, about the murderer. <laughs> that's such a catty thing to say. Like, clearly uncovered. Like, that's interesting, uh, weirdo. <laughs> but I like, also, like, what is that, like, me? I don't know. That's he so weird. means he's a cold-blooded murderer who wants everyone to know that he's killed before and will kill again. Yeah, he brought um, it out. And he just keeps bringing it up, like, oh, am I, uh, my bell buckle's made of... Um, the jaw of a young boy. And I, yeah, his brain's all over the place, too, because literally the next line, he goes, yeah, yeah, Gatsby's very careful about women. He would never so much look at a friend's wife. One that comes out of nowhere. They aren't talking about Gatsby. They were talking about his teeth. He, he brings up, he's talking about Gatsby, look at my teeth cufflings, and then he's like, oh, by the way, Gatsby would never look at a woman. <laughs> and it's like, all right, all right. Uh, 
okay, what? Like, Nick's got to be like, this is the weird. And he is so like, this is the weirdest this conversation is, I've ever this had. It's a very weird conversation. So, Wolfsheim leaves. I like this part a lot. Wolfsheim leaves. He says he's leaving because he's old. I'm 50 years old and I won't impose myself on you any longer. Um, and then they start talking about him. He becomes very sentimental sometimes, explained Gatsby. This is one of his sentimental days. He's quite a character around New York, a denizen of Broadway. And here is Nick's guess as to as to what Wolfsheim is. <clears throat> Who is he any, anyhow? An actor? No. A dentist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a crazy dentist that has teeth jewelry. Oh, yeah. This <laughs> First of all, you just described how ugly this guy was for like uh, the entire lunch. And he's just like a nose, a hairy nose with, just, with just no face. Just a hairy sh- nose with terrible eyes this must be one of these movie people Gatsby's hanging out with all the time and then his second guess is he's a dentist which is actually I guess it's not a bad guess mm. but clearly he's like a malevolent uh, guy who's trying to do business it's like and talking about people dying mm-hmm. <laughs> Nick you naive uh, and then he says well Meyer Wolfsheim no he's a gambler Gatsby hesitated then added coolly he's the man who fixed the World Series back in 1919 fixed the World Series I repeated the idea staggered me. I remembered, of course, that the World Series had been fixed in 1919, but if I had thought of it at all, I would have thought of it as a thing that merely happened, the end of some inevitable chain. It never occurred to me that one man could start to play with the faith of 50 million people with the single-mindedness of a burglar blowing a safe. So I think that there's a lot to, out of all the crimes Fitzgerald could have picked. Yeah, a big crime, yeah. One of the most famous crimes in American history. Yeah. This guy that he does not like and seems terribly annoying and unimpressive is one of the most famous criminals of all time wolfsheim does seem unimpressive i like you point that out he, he he forgets stuff and he's like just kind of rude and weird but it's also interesting yeah. is that wolfsheim therefore would have some of the most money in the world he'd yeah. be richer than gatsby yeah but he has no no at no point all he cares about is his teeth cufflinks yeah. that's the only thing he brags about he brags about gatsby being handsome and nice and then he brags about his teeth thing. But he is still alive at 50. Yeah, he made it. He, one, doesn't care about high society. He likes Broadway. He likes theater people. But he's smart. He knows his friend was getting killed. He's like, don't go out there. You're going to get killed. Friend got killed. Wolfsheim's still alive. Uh, he, but he is should be, like Nick even says, like, why isn't he in jail? Like, he's very smart. Yeah. He doesn't care about being p- part of, like, East Egg. Maybe because he's a Jew and they would never accept him. Yeah. He just, like, doesn't care about that life. Yeah. And therefore, he's still alive at 50 as a gangster. Okay. Why the World Series? What's your th- Why the World Series? Because uh, it's the only, like, really American part of the book. Everyone else is, like, people hanging out with European royalty, being affiliated with European royalty, trying to be rich in New York and East Coast. Mm-hmm. And the 1919 World Series took place in Chicago. hey Yes, where we are now. We are in Chicago. Like, the city of big shoulders, Middle West, uh, and baseball is America's sport, Mm -hmm. and it's one of the biggest crimes you can commit against the average person. All these people on the East Coast are committing crimes against each other, and in the sense that the rich are stealing from the poor in a Marxist sense. But doing this crime against... uh, Baseball is a crime against every idiot in Nebraska. Sorry, Nebraska. (laughs) (laughs) And crime against everyone in Chicago, crime against every poor person who looks to baseball to make their lives better. Playing with the faith of 50 million people. And there's faith. And there's a chapter that's mentioned God so many times. Yeah. The real faith of the American working person is that baseball is a good and honest, true thing. Right. Mm. 
And that is also built on a lie. So this, even this American institution that is innocent and affiliated with boyhood and the American spirit yeah. is also can be crumbled by money. Yeah. How about cheating too? We have cheating in sports. Another cheating in sports. Every honest, every every honest person is poor. Every every dishonest person is rich. It's like. And everything can be corrupted. Yeah. The game is ri- the game is rigged. Money corrupts all. Uh, okay. And then they see Tom. So Tom and Gatsby are going to be meeting for the first time. Um. Uh, so Tom is like mad. Like, hey, another strong person being like. Hey, where have you been? Hang out with my wife. She's mad at you. <laughs> uh, and he goes, this is Mr. Gatsby, Mr. Buchanan. They shook hands briefly, and, stra- and a strained, unfamiliar look of embarrassment came over Gatsby's face. How have you been anyhow, demanded Tom of me. How'd you happen to come up this far to eat? I've been having lunch with Mr. Gatsby. I turned toward Mr. Gatsby, but he was no longer there. Whoosh. So once again, Tom bumps into Gatsby. No idea who he is and how important he'd become in his life. But that's almost every chapter... Tom's there and Gatsby's mentioned. I'm happy you're tracking that because right, like Tom and Tom and Gatsby are like diametrically opposed. They're like they're like foils of one another. Like we talked about the yeah. old money, new money. Old money, new money. Tom's old. Gatsby's new. There's the Stoddard and Goddard. Uh, oh yeah. The type of intellectualism they support. Gatsby's more Stoddard senior. And Tom's more Goddard or Stoddard Stoddard junior, the racist weirdo. Yeah, and then also they love the same woman. Love the same woman. Um, let's see here. And then we get Jordan Baker's story finally saying uh, what they're supposed to have lunch about. Um, so it starts, one October day in 1917, said Jordan Baker that afternoon, sitting up very straight on a straight chair in the tea garden at the Plaza Hotel. And that's a weird line. One, it's in parentheses. He's like, hey, everyone, Jordan's telling the story. Don't judge me. <laughs> right. It just It just happens. Yeah, she just takes over the entire narration of the... This is the, the only time it ever shifts narration. Um, but also, sitting up very straight on a straight chair. So it's important that, like, Jordan is always sitting up straight and very rigid. Like, that's always described. she got great posture, Jordan. Yeah. And he, it's important for him to say this, and I don't know why he cares, as he tells the most important story in the <laughs> book. Um, so basically, she was friends, a little bit friends with Daisy in Louisville. Daisy was 18. She was 16. She goes to Daisy Faye's house. Uh, so her main name is Faye, which is uh, Old English for fairy. Uh, I just thought that was like a weird, interesting choice for a name. Um, and then, the, so the young officers, all the young officers from Camp Taylor, which is the camp in Louisville, uh, which coincidentally Fitzgerald uh, was stationed at when he was in station in Louisville. Uh, they all, the, all the soldiers wanted to hang out with Daisy. With Daisy. Mm-hmm. And then there's a young lieutenant that Daisy's hanging out with. So he is a lieutenant. So it's true that when he said I was commissioned as a lieutenant. Yep. That's true. Gatsby's a lieutenant. Uh, Daisy asked Jordan to um, take over or tell the Red Cross that she can't make it to make bandages because she's going to be flirting with this guy. And then there's this great – the reason why this book is so romantic is that this part it seems genuinely – the officer looked at Daisy while she was speaking in a way that every young girl wants to be looked at at some time. And because it seemed romantic to me, I have remembered that incident ever since. So clearly he has, even at the young age, he had the ability that to like. That special smile that, yeah, he's got, yeah, he's got, he's got like just untold charisma, Gatsby. And then even after I'd met him on Long Island, I didn't realize it was the same man. That's an important thing is that uh, I didn't lay eyes on him again for over four years. So this is only four years apart. Yeah, I didn't realize it's the same man. Yeah. One, it's didn't realize it's the same man, but two, 
like in my head this is happening like 20 years apart yeah and it's like literally like they dated freshman year of college and then the year after college they met up again yeah right four and years like oh what a distant past that was in my head too yeah in my head it's a big deal i mean well well no it, maybe it, times have changed but like trying to get back a girl you dated four years ago is not obscene well i guess well, it's the war right yeah it's the was, war between i mean the war is something i guess he he goes off to the war for like a year and a half or two but but when he comes back he doesn't have any money because he told her i have to like Wait till I have money, and then we'll get married, and then you'll all have a good life. But he comes back and doesn't have any money because uh, that gentleman that he helped dies, and all the money goes to his son. Mm-hmm. Um, but it only took him four years to go from poor soldier to rich bootlegger. Right. Maybe that's why Jordan didn't recognize him, I guess. Yeah. Context. Um, and then Wild Rumor. So they, they go off. Um, Daisy gets dark and wild. Um, wild rumors were circulating about her how her mother had found her packing her bag one winter night to go to New York and say goodbye to a soldier who was going overseas is that Gatsby? never specified probably yeah um, but also think of that if they, he, she made it to New York how different this book would be she was effectually prevented but wasn't on speaking terms with the mother, her family for several weeks after that she didn't play around with the, the soldiers anymore but only with a few flat-footed, short-sighted young men in town. <laughs> only the losers who were too weak to go to war. Yeah, I have flat feet. Um, by the next autumn, she was gay again, gay as ever. Uh, this is She was presumably engaged to a man from New Orleans. And then in June, she married Tom Buchanan of Chicago. So she had one person before Tom. Yeah, an engagement, too. So she is essentially able to function romantically without Gatsby. Like, yes, she was 18 and she was heartbroken, but it was a few weeks before she talked to her family again. And then she was engaged to this man. So eventually, also, it's like another man was like desperate to have her and got close. Yeah. And he lost her. So it's another man who lost her. Um, and then Tom comes in. Um, let's see. He So, yeah, he marries Tom. It's a huge uh, pomp and circumstance wedding um, that something Louisville hasn't seen before. He came down with 100 people. He got the whole floor of a hotel and gave her a string of pearls valued at $350,000. That's an insane amount now. Yeah. Like, if someone I knew got a, a necklace that was $350,000, I'd be like, this, what are you doing? That's crazy. Think of the How children. How are you not afraid of getting murdered? Yeah. Why wear it? Yeah. I looked it up. $350,000 in 1920 is the equivalent of $7.25 million. Why? $7.25 million. Then Daisy's uh, day of the wedding or day before the wedding, uh, Daisy's drunk, is ha- holding a letter, presumably from Gatsby, crying in the bathtub, uh, doesn't want to get married. She goes, um, here, Darius, she says to Jordan, she groped around a wastebasket she had with her on the bed and pulled out the string of pearls. She already threw out the pearls. She threw out $7.25 million. Take them downstairs and give them back to whoever they belong to. Tell them all Daisy's changed her mind. Say Daisy's changed her mind. She cried. And then something interesting. I rushed out and found her mother's maid, and we locked the door and got her into a cold bath. So she didn't get her mother. She got the maid. She got the maid, which points to parallels how Daisy... Daisy's daughter is basically raised by a maid, too. Raised by a maid, too. It's like runs in the family is that the actual emotional support comes from the mates. Yeah. Basically, the mother's only appearance is to stop her from seeing Gatsby. (laughs) 
a man of ill repute. Um, and then what's interesting is that she marries Tom Buchanan, and then Jordan talks about how much she really seemed in love with Tom. Yeah, she seems pretty like a f- pretty flexibly ro- flexi- flexible romantically. She can really kind of she's having a good time with Tom on the beach, stroking his hair, looking deep into his eyes. So it seems like in love. for the most part, yeah, Daisy's in love. It's not the tragic story that Gatsby had, where Gatsby never forgot on a deep level and was never able to love again. Right. But it's like she was like, yeah, I I was romantically involved with Tom, and I had a lot of fun. Let's see here. And then, so Tom has an affair right away on their honeymoon. Uh, yeah, she yeah. They, they find out because he gets in a in a. Oh, what is it? A drunk driving accident. Yeah, another drunk driving accident that breaks the arm of a, a chambermaid. It's in the, in so the it's paper. another like lower class person. So he has a fetish for like lower working class people. Yeah, I guess so. Myrtle is a a, a garage owner's wife, Some and then there's this chambermaid. chambermaid. Um, it's good to know. On his it's nice honeymoon. To know, yeah. So this is not about. This is not like Tom being in love with Myrtle. This is Tom. This is Myrtle's one of many. Is what we now know. Yeah. Let's see here. They went to France for a year. So She's there in Chicago, very well liked. Um, uh, I like how the idea is that uh, Daisy's got a perfect perfect reputation because she doesn't drink. So yeah, Daisy never drinks, so she never makes mistakes in front yeah. of hard drunks. Yeah. And that's that's good advice. <laughs> Yeah, try it out. Um, I'd like let's to. See. Perhaps Daisy never went in for Amor at all, and there yet there's something in that voice of hers. The voice again. Um. Yeah, and then basically said that Daisy was like, "What Gatsby are you talking about?" To Jordan. So Jordan and so uh, Daisy knows that Gatsby's there, and she is like still remembers him fondly. Right. It's an important relationship, even though she was able to move on pretty quickly. Um, and then there's this nice little date with Jordan. It's like really conflicting with her, kind of conflicting with her theory that, uh, Nick's in love with Gatsby and Jordan, the Jordan relationship is a sham. Um, but yeah, they go through Central Park. Um, and then you get these lyrics. So a bunch of girls are singing these lyrics. I'm the Sheik of Araby. Your love belongs to me at night when you're asleep into your tent I'll creep. So it's a popular song at the time. Yeah. Uh, you could look at, there's the Beatles did a cover of this. Oh, wow. Um, but Fitzgerald likes to put in pop culture things from the years things take place as a way to market. We had the novel earlier. Um, yeah, the famous novel that was made around this time. Simon um, called Peter. Yeah, this this song. But also the lyrics are like, it's just like these girls are singing basically, I'm here to steal your love. Which is what essentially Gatsby's trying to Gatsby's do. trying to steal love, right? And so and Nick is realizing this for the first time. So <clears throat> this paragraph is beautiful. Then it had not been merely the stars to which he had aspired on that June night when he first saw Gatsby. He came alive to me, delivered suddenly from the womb of his purposeless splendor. Oh, my oh. God. I could drink it in. Um it's so no, it's so it's so funny. Like it's hard to like just like <laughs> genuinely appreciate the language. I'd be like uh, say something snarky real quick, but that that's just gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, but at this, at this moment, yeah, Nick now understands what Gatsby's whole thing is because before it was like, who is this rich guy who is just um, throwing parties and asking weird favors of me and wanting everyone to like him? He now sees behind the mask, which is the thing that Nick is love, loves to do. He sees the clockwork yeah. of Gatsby. He sees what Gatsby's all about. He loves when people's actual motivations are revealed. Right. And uh, that makes him an amazing narrator. So he wants to know, continued Jordan, if you'll invite Daisy to your house some afternoon and then, then let him come over. And then this is a great sentence, too. 
The modesty of the demand shook me. He had waited five years and brought a mansion where he dispensed starlight to casual moths so that he could come over some afternoon to a stranger's garden. Call back to that third chapter sentence, the, the, the champagne starlight moth sort yeah. of thing. Um, but also, what a catty thing to say about all these casual moths. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Uh, did I have to know all this before he could ask such a little thing? He's afraid he's waited so long. You thought you, he, he thought you might be offended. You see, he's a regular tough underneath it all. So, oh, yeah. So even Jordan is able to see, like, Gatsby's mask. Probably better than most people. She doesn't believe him ever. He's a regular tough. Yeah, I like that about Jordan. Um, why, he, did you, why, why didn't he ask you to arrange a meeting? He wants her to see his house, she explained, and your house is right next door. So the house is all is what it's all about. He he definitely needs to be seen in his best element. He's yeah. very aware of appearances and he looks better standing on his mansion than he does in some lawn. Yeah. God, but so shallow. Yeah. For this real love. So the parties were all were all, you know, bait for Daisy essentially is what is what Jordan even realizes. Yeah, now. bait for Daisy, but also a way to like meet everyone in New York to see if they knew her. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and once he found out that Jordan knew, um, then he he finally pursued Jordan and, and set the, started setting this thing up. So really, this plan of Gatsby's has only now paid off after yeah, a couple of years. a year in the making. A of, year, yeah. Well, long term, like five years of get rich so I can win her heart back. Yeah. But even just like move to New York so that I can be across the, the street from him. Yeah. Because he could live anywhere because he's business he does everywhere right and that, it is astonishing to buy the land right across from daisy's with so with with that much intention yeah absolutely um and then there's this kind of romantic part where with uh, nick and jordan strap in it was dark now and as we dipped under a little bridge i put my arm around jordan's golden shoulders so she her arms and shoulders are described as golden she must be just tan from playing golf all the time yeah uh and drew her toward me and asked her to dinner Suddenly, I wasn't thinking of Daisy and Gatsby anymore, but of this clean, hard, limited person who dealt in universal skepticism and who leaned back jauntily just within the circle of my arm. Oh, man. You know when you meet a girl and she is just clean and hard and limited? limited. <laughs> <laughs> man. That's the thing where it's like, this is one supposedly romantic. He's like, I'm not thinking about all this drama. I'm thinking about you, babe. I'm thinking about this clean, hard lady. <laughs> you limited person who leans jauntily places. And who deals in a... Uni- the universal skepticism is like the, the most attractive thing about her. I mean, not, who yeah. isn't into a little bit of skepticism, but still, she's a skeptical of everything. That's the thing that's attracted to you. Clean, hard, and limited. Oh, my God. And then a phrase began to beat in my ears with a sort of heady excitement. There are only the pursue, the pursuing, the busy, and the tired. Okay. We didn't talk about this yet, but what this this has got to be important. I I don't even I in college I saw that line and I just liked it. I like I was like I should get a tattoo that says this. <laughs> <laughs> that is a tattoo like this. Like this book is full of like tattooable, memeable, yeah. posterable yeah. lines. Yeah, especially um, especially if you're 19, you're like I found it. I found the truth. There so, are only the pursued, the pursuing, the busy, and the tired. So basically, Nick is saying this is all you could be as human. You could be chasing after the love of someone. You could be the object of someone's chasing. Yeah. Uh, you could be very busy, would like chasing your dreams. Yeah. Would going to work, doing all your family stuff, or you could just be tired, just a person ready to die. Or you're just tired. 
Right. So it's like if you're not, yeah, if you're not moving, if you're not moving towards something, you're tired, you're on your Basically way out. Dead. Yeah, you might as well be dead. So Gatsby is a pursuer. Daisy is the pursued. Pursued. Jordan and Nick are the busy. Sure, they're pretty busy. Yeah, Nick is studying bonds all the time. Yeah. And then who's the tired? I mean, Wilson. Wilson is certainly tired. Oh, Wilson. Wilson's tired. Tom could be a little tired. I don't know. I'd he say seems, Tom's he tired. He seems busy. I don't know. Well, yeah, because nothing's ever as good as football. And he's just like... Ah, yeah, right. That original description of him... Uh, of him... Be, everything is anticlimax... Uh, reeks of anticlimax. And Daisy ought to have something in her life, murmured Jordan to me. Does she want to see Gatsby? That's like also like kind of funny because she has a daughter. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. You know what this woman with a mansion and a husband and a daughter needs? A mistress. An affair. A man mistress. A man affair. mistress. A mister. Yeah. Does she want to see Gatsby? She's not to know about it. Gatsby doesn't want her to know. You're just supposed to invite her to tea. So it's gonna be so. This is we're gonna we're we're gonna see a surprise meeting between Gatsby and Daisy. Yeah. Oof. We passed a barrier of dark trees, and then the facade of Fifty Ninth Street, a block of delicate pale light, beamed down into the park. Unlike Gatsby and Tom Buchanan, I had no girl whose disembodied face floated along the dark cornices and blinding signs, and so I drew up the girl beside me tightening my arms her wan scornful mouth smiled and so i drew up again closer this time to my face he smooched her he gets we we gotta smooch we have i mean if this guy uh hey she could be a beard who knows but uh listen he kissed that scornful mouth <laughs> <laughs> hey when you have a clean heart limited woman in your arms you gotta give her a big old kiss kiss right on that scornful mm-hmm. mouth <laughs> wow Hey, chuck up another point for team bisexual. Hey, hey, uh, hey, out there. Yeah, that's like, it is. Um, <clears throat> one is really. It's that you do seem like, oh, this is like a genuinely nice moment between yeah. them two. I mean, he's definitely at least something is driving him to kiss her. Um, and he, it seems, roman- It seems um romantic. Uh, I think he sees her as the only other reasonable person in all of New York. Yeah, she sees behind Gatsby. She's thing. universally skeptical. Skeptical, and she's privy to sort of like the things behind people's hearts too. The wild desires of uh, wild unknown men. Shoot. Um, okay, but then the I ha- I had no girl. Unlike Gatsby and Tom Buchanan, I had no girl whose disembodied face floated along the dark cornices and blinding signs. So I, dr- he That's had no girl like they had. Oh, so he had. Well, I'm saying he doesn't have a like a lost love. He doesn't have a lost love but or a Tom removed Buchanan love. Tom Buchanan doesn't have a lost love either. That's that's strange to me. Tom Buchanan. Oh, yeah, let's see. I had no girl whose disembodied face floated along the dark cornices. Yeah, blinding signs. I had no dis- girl. Hmm. So I'm saying he doesn't have a lost love. I think that's what he means. But I don't know why Tom Buchanan's included in that. Um. Okay. Is there like oh he's about to lose Daisy or like he doesn't know how long how, how Daisy's already lost? I mean, okay. So case to be made for Myrtle being the disembodied face. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he saw the whole thing, so I don't think he, he believed sees her all that. the time. Yeah. But maybe unlike Gatsby and Tommy Cannon, I had no girl whose disembodied face floated along the dark cornices and blinding signs. So I drew the girl beside me. So like I think it's contrasting that the the, the, the their girls are not beside them. So yeah. I drew the girl beside me. Tightening my arms. So, like, Jordan is beside Nick. Daisy's not, not beside... Maybe she's not beside Gatsby or Tom, and Daisy is yeah, there's a distance. the object of both of their affections. Yeah. There's a distance, and she is distant to all of them. To both of them, and so... But also, like, it's kind of weird. He's like, I don't have a, a girl problem, so I better kiss this girl. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So in the context of like these miserable men, he's like, "All right, I'll. This is good that I have Jordan. <laughs> I have Jordan. Yeah, I've got Jordan. I've got, I've got this. I've got this whole problem all. It's all set. It's all. It's all settled with this. Um. So ambiguous at the very least in terms of his feelings towards Jordan. Yes, he definitely sees her as a basically a rigid masculine woman. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Um. But does he seems to have a genuine affection for her? Yeah, I think it's that. that that's that's. To be argued. You can definitely argue that he has affection for Jordan. Yeah, he called it like a tender affection, or what did he call it? A tender curiosity. A tender curiosity. Yeah. I think it comes from a genuine place. Yeah, he's got some. He's got something for her. Yeah, something about her does appeal to him. Both. I think it's just she's got a good brain and she's like masculine, and but also doesn't really. It pushes him around a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, it was. Uh, that's a big one. That's Gatsby's version of the past. Gatsby's story, Daisy's story. I noticed that we we inherently trust jordan's story yeah right because yeah nick's the unreliable narrator jordan well jordan's a skeptic but she's a liar liar. yeah (laughs) yeah so a lot of backstory told by people that aren't that trustworthy right we got gatsby telling his own backstory and jordan telling her backstory with daisy yeah and both of them are like you know they're all we have to go on but they're not they seem they seem fuzzy and at the very least you know airbrushed Yes, and these are all. This whole story is filtered through the brain of a war shooken <clears throat> alcoholic with repressed feelings. Oh, right, it's twice distilled. Right, you got it's. He's telling us what he heard from Jordan. He's telling us what he heard from Gatsby. And also, just every part of this is like the memories of an alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's all. Everything has to be taken with a grain of salt. All of this is made to look Nick seem innocent and like. In my mind, he's like, I prove, like, I never lost my Midwestern manners in all of this. Yeah. But it, clearly, he got caught up just like everyone else. Or my catty attitude. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah. I'm excited for the next chapter. Uh, we're getting the... Uh, we, we get the we is get this the, the meeting? meeting? Is this the first we meeting? We ought to have the meeting, right? Yeah, it is. It is the meeting. And then the meeting is just rife with, like, he just... Fitzgerald just perfectly dissects what... it like, The awkwardness... And the change of mood that happens in the room. I love it. It's hilarious. Yeah, this whole chapter is really setting up the next chapter, which is a great chapter. This was a good chapter. All the chapters are good. There's only nine of them. Yeah, this one was, yeah, this was, this is really cool. But this one is, a, this is the object, the whole book is coming together. Yeah, I liked, uh, yeah, it's the, yeah, right. Uh, so yeah, Gatsby and Nick are getting, are getting closer so they can do this thing. Nick is understanding who Gatsby is and who Daisy is and what's happening there. And that's about, you can see how that's going to come to a head. Yeah. It's all happening. And we'll be there to report on it. <laughs> we'll be there. Live action news. <laughs> Live from 98 years ago. It is. Kevin and is I. Is it 98 years? Yeah, well, we're coming up. No, so, I think it's, well, it's 25. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's So seven years published. away from the 100 year anniversary. Yeah, 93 years. Um, 93 years shy. So it's still, I mean, it's still pretty, pretty amazing. If I could do anything that would last for 93 years, um, and not sound so stupid, yeah, uh, I'd be happy. I mean, sure, a little racism, sure, some misogyny, yeah, but overall, pretty good. <laughs> seasons the stew, I say. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. That, um, it's not like racism went away. <laughs> no, it's not like racism went away. It's still around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, exciting stuff. I'm happy. I'm happy you listened. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Yeah. Next episode is chapter five. If you're reading along with us, uh, I'm Kevin. My name is Terrence Hartnett. All right. Have a good week. See you later, old sport.